in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5 to 8, for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, or brotherly love, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor be unfruitful in the knowledge of your Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of God. I want to speak to you today about living above the snake line. The snake line is a, a geographical term that describes an imaginary topographical line in a mountainous area above which snakes cannot survive or live. Now, snakes can live beneath the line, but they cannot survive above the line. And this concept is mind-boggling when you apply the, our, this our spiritual lives because the Bible reveals an analogy between the snake line concept and our spiritual lives. The question I want to ask you this morning is, is there a place of immunity is there an altitude in the spirit where we can live in the realm of the spirit where the demonic can no longer touch us? Hallelujah. Now this whole idea of altitude gives us a picture of mountains because the God we serve is the God of mountains, the God who loves mountains and the God who summons up to the mountains and the God who's calling us to be mountain climbers. Amen. I hope you're aware that our journey begins at salvation, but it ends at the top of a mountain. Our salvation experience began the moment we stepped out of spiritual Egypt, but our destination is Zion. There is a finality, there is a terminus in our journey, and we need to know where God is bringing us. Amen. When we come to the last few chapters of the Bible, in the book of Revelation chapter 21, you will discover that right at the end of the Bible is a holy city that sits on a beautiful mountain and that is the city to which we've been summoned to. That is the city that is our eternal destiny. Amen. Now there are several things about the snake line concept that I want to just highlight to you. Number one, different altitudes describe different spiritual states of being. Now heights, of course, represent different degrees of spiritual life, especially power. For example, when we say God is higher than any other, what we are referring to is not His physical height. We are referring to this fact that His power far supersedes and transcends all others. Amen. The second thing is that snakes are spiritually representative of the demonic and the power of Satan. Jesus talked about trampling serpents and scorpions and Satan himself is described as a snake in the Bible. Now the snake line describes, listen to me ladies and gentlemen, please, describes a level of spirituality where darkness, death and demons cannot live, cannot function and cannot thrive. Amen. It does not mean that we're immune to falling. No, sir. Because in life, you can fall from any level if we are callous. But what it means is that there is a place in Christ where we are hid with Christ where the demonic no longer has power or sway over us. If we recall, Jesus said one time, the prince of this world is coming, referring to the devil, but he has no power over me. He has nothing in me. What that means is Jesus lived in a dimension. He lived in a realm in the spirit where no demon, no fallen angel, not even the prince of darkness 
could touch him. That is the spiritual snake line. So the million dollar question we need to ask is, what is this snake line in the realm of the spirit and how can we live above this line? Not visit, but just learn to dwell and live above the snake line. Now I want to allude to an amazing book by Rick Joyner. It's called The Final Quest. It's available at the FaithWorks bookstore. If you've never read the book, I want to recommend strongly that you read the book because in the book is a series of visions that God gave to Rick Joyner about a mountain where believers had to take refuge because it was a stronghold from the enemy. In the vision, he saw a humongous demonic army fighting against God's people. At the lower levels of the mountain, Christians were be easily being picked off by the arrows that were being shot by these demons and vultures of depression that were vomiting on them. Now Rick uh, uh, identified this demonic army uh, and the most, said the most powerful divisions were uh, divisions of pride self-righteousness, unrighteous judgment, selfish ambition, respectability. Woo! That you never knew that that was a powerful demonic entity, right? And the most formidable of all was a demonic battalion called jealousy. Jealousy is a terrible, terrible sin, right? And then there were other divisions in the army, but lesser in power, demons of rejection, bitterness and lust. But all of them had weapons like swords and spears and arrows and they were names like intimidation, treachery and accusations and gossip and slander. And Rick said Christians at the lower levels of the mountain were easy targets. They were being picked off by the demons and being vomited upon by these vouchers of depression with impunity with impunity. And it was almost as if there was no protection on them. And this is almost synonymous with Christians living in the outer courts where there is no protection from the elements. But in the vision, as these Christians began to scale the mountain, they came to the higher levels of the Christian life where there was more protection and they became less susceptible to demonic attacks. When they came to the first snake line, which was identified in the vision, as something called the unity of the brethren. That's Psalms 133, by the way. Those arrows from the de demons could no longer reach them. Hallelujah. I believe that there is a place in Christ where the barbs and the arrows of the demonic cannot reach us anymore. Now, the unity of the brethren is in Psalms 133. And it's equivalent in the New Testament to something called brotherly love and the Holy Spirit has been speaking to me about where He wants to bring Cornerstone. He wants to bring us to brotherly love, which is really Philadelphia, hallelujah. And Philadelphia is brotherly love. And that is the first snake line that He's calling us to summon up. He's summoning us up to this place of brotherly love. Now the concept of Philadelphia comes out of the passage in 2 Peter chapter 1 in the scripture we read. And Peter lists for us eight steps of perfection, uh, which is, perfection is synonymous with something called agape. Agape. This is, this is the Father's love. But the eight, eight steps are this, right? He said, add to your faith. Now faith is the starting point of the Christian life. All of you have been given a measure of faith. All of you have been given a measure of faith. And what you do with the faith is your responsibility. But you've got to add to your faith virtue. Virtue, knowledge, knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance, perseverance, godliness, and then godliness, brotherly love. Not brotherly kindness. The, the, the King James says brotherly kindness, but the correct 
uh, interpretation and translation is brotherly love, Philadelphia. And uh, if you look at 2 Peter chapter 1, brotherly love is the final step in our progression before we come to the pinnacle of the Christian life and that is agape love, hallelujah. That is where God is bringing us to. He's bringing us to perfection and perfection is synonymous with agape, hallelujah. That is the mountain of Zion. That, Christian, that is Christian perfection, the peak of our journey and that's where God is bringing us up to. Now, this word Philadelphia appears a few times in Scripture. One in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, it also appears in Romans 12 and verse 10, where, Peter, where Paul says, uh, be kindly affectionate to one another with a God, a brotherly love of Philadelphia in honour giving preference to one another. But it also appears in the book of Revelation, where the Lord addressed one of the seven churches, the church of Philadelphia, which was one of two churches that the Lord did not rebuke together with the church in Smyrna. And I just want to say that there are parallels, prophetic parallels between the church of Philadelphia and, and Cornerstone. I, I, I've asked the Lord, I said, Lord of the seven churches, which of them best reflects who we are and what needs to be done here in this church to make sure that we are up to speed. And I felt the Holy Spirit make it very clear that it was the church of Philadelphia. And the common denominator being the key of the house of David, which is something God has promised this, this family of churches with uh, Cornerstone. Now, brotherly love is uh, John 13 and verses 34, 35. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this will all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is the first snake line, John 13. When we arrive at this place, demons no longer have any power or influence over us. And I think that this is where our Christian witness is the most powerful. When people start seeing us loving one another the way Jesus loved us, they're going to say, wow, no way, man. Look at the way they love one another. Woo! When I first became a believer at 16 years of age, I was 75% uh, rascal, maybe 85. I struggled with a lot of issues in my life. But I attended a church camp at the age, I think, of 17. I was uh, uh, at this youth camp. And the speaker was, uh, was uh, preaching on John 17. I can still remember. And uh, I remember very vividly that he was masterfully building the message up to a crescendo. And faith was rising. You know, when you hear anointed preaching, there's something about the stirrings of faith that rises in your spirit. And as he was talking, he was building his message to a climax. And he came to the climax when he said, and God the Father loves you as much as he loves his own son, Jesus. Now, when he said that, the lights just went on in my head. There was this, the dam burst and there was this flood of love and God filled me with agape. That's the only way I can describe it. He filled me with agape. And in those few moments, moments. This has only happened one time in my life and I, when I was 17 and when the, when the Holy Spirit came upon me in the form of agape, it was so transcendental, it was so powerful, it was so divine that I had felt the capacity as a young Christian to love everybody. I was scanning in my mind everybody I knew and I had a love for every person and I tell you this, for two minutes I felt this amazing transcendental love of God and it was incapable. I was incapable I was incapable of hating anybody. And I want to just say that when we get to heaven, this pervading sense of agape is going to 
fill the atmosphere of heaven is overpowering sense of agape, hallelujah. It's going to be so preeminent and so predominant. And that's why this, it's going to be perfect, hallelujah, when we love one another. But ladies and gentlemen, why do we wait to get to heaven to experience agape? Let's experience it here. Let's learn to love one another the way Jesus loves us, amen. The new commandment that Jesus gave us is different from the second commandment of the law, which is to love one another as you love yourself. And the problem with that is so much of us have problems with self-hatred. I do. I struggle with self-hatred for years. You know, hating myself for not being strong enough, hating myself for, for not st uh, standing up sometimes, uh, hating myself for not dealing with issues in my life. And you know, I had to go to the Lord many times and ask the Lord for forgiveness. And ladies and gentlemen, I, this new, new commandment, this new commandment that Jesus gave in John 13, it's infallible because it doesn't depend on your love, it depends on His love. Hallelujah. Amen. Am I making sense to you? You're very quiet today. Brotherly love is when we love one another as Jesus loved us. I remember a time in my life I was so <laughs> insecure that I actually say, said to the Lord, do you even love me? Come on, how, what, what kind of a silly question is that? Do you even love me? You're talking to love personified. You're talking to agape. God is not faith. He's not hope. He is love. Hallelujah. And the, I never forgot what he said. He says, while you were yet a sinner, my son, I loved you. I gave my life for you. In other words, what he was saying to me was, you, when you were in your rebellion, when you were in sin, I loved you. And how much more do I love you now that you're washed by my blood? Hallelujah. So I want to encourage you, don't ever doubt the love of God. Amen. He's, he's incapable, incapable of hating you. Hallelujah. I want to suggest that, you can, that if we can attain to this level, this first snake line, then Satan will have no power in this house. Amen. We learn to love one another. Now the key of the Christian life is altitude. Everybody say altitude. Now the only bird that dares to attack or has the audacity to attack an eagle is the raven. I've got a picture of this right now. And um, you can Google it, right? It's, uh, you, it's, it's, uh, it's on the internet. Sometimes the raven would sit on the back of an eagle and peck on its neck and the eagle doesn't respond or fight with the raven. It just flaps its wing to soar up higher. And the higher the eagle goes, the harder it is for the raven to breathe. And eventually, the raven falls off because of a lack of oxygen. My friends, you don't have to respond to every battle. Come on. There are some battles we need to fight. Yes, sir. But there are some battles all you need to do is to raise the standard and the enemy will just fall off. Amen. As I'm telling you because there are people that are out to pick a fight with you all the time. There are people, even as the senior pastor of the church, there are still people that, you know, they want to push their, their point of view and they want to pick a fight with you. And I'm telling you, if you don't respond, they will eventually go So don't waste your time on ravens, hallelujah. You just bring them up to the heights and you, they will back off. Why? Because they don't have the capacity to live at that altitude. Come on, hallelujah. Amen. Really. When people go low and say all kinds of things, you go high, amen. Another thing I've discovered about eagles is they don't flock. Geese flock, pigeons flock, starlings flock. But an eagle always flies alone. Why? Because at that altitude, he's the only bird there. If an eagle meets another bird at the altitude, it's another eagle. Come on. Amen. Because eagles don't flock. They, 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 they don't fly with pigeons. Amen. So may God take all of you to a higher place in Him where it would be impossible for the enemy to peck at us. Hallelujah. There is another snake line that I want to identify in the vision. 
that we, when we come to, even the vultures of depression can no longer touch us. And the second spiritual snake line is Galatians 2.20. What is Galatians 2.20? Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. No longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. And the life that I live, now I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave His life for me. Many years ago, I was walking in the park near my house and I saw a little bit of a commotion and uh, there were two uh, uh, foreign uh, immigrant workers that were, they had a stick and they were just fighting something. And I went there to see what they were doing and it was a cobra. They were fighting off a cobra. It wasn't a very large one. Uh, so I said, guys, pass me the stick. I'll kill the cobra for you. <laughs> so I, I was a bit, uh, you know, the, and the cobra, I hit the first time, the cobra, you know, was very uh, uh, violent. And when I missed it, you know, it just slid it away and it went, you know, it just went right to the back and then it went into a fence down the drain. And you know what building that was? It was a church. It was a church. It went right into the foundations of the church. When underneath, I ran to the church. I went to the, the, I knocked on the door of the office. They opened. They said, I said, you guys got a problem because you have a children's, um, you got a preschool here. I want you to know that a snake just came to the back. You need to deal with that because you got a cobra in your back. And that's when the Holy Spirit said to me, the enemy is trying to slither into my church. You've got to make a stand. Now, this is many years ago, but I never forgot that incident. That I, I, the enemy is trying to find a way into the church. But if we come to this altitude of Galatians 2.20, the enemy loses his voice. He's, this is where I believe that Christians are entrusted with the powers of the age to come, Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 3. At this altitude, there's great authority. And I'm telling you this, my friends, Galatians 2.20, by the Spirit of God, I'm speaking to you, is the one prayer that the Holy Ghost wants you to pray. Lord, I want to take up my cross every day and I want to be crucified with Christ. I tell you this, if Cornerstone is a company of crucified lovers of Jesus, we can change the world. We, can, we have the potential to change the world. Amen. It's all about dying. It's all about taking up your cross daily. It's all about denying yourself daily. There's something about doing this thing daily that gives you an authority. Amen. Romans chapter 8 and verses 1 and 2. For there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit, for the law of the life, of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Now, the, let, me, let me explain this. The law of sin and death was uh, a law that was created because of Adam's disobedience in the garden. Okay? It's a universal law. It operates like the law of gravity. It's all around us. It works all the time. It's pulling on all our senses, which is the seeing, the hearing, the eye, the tasting, the, the smelling, and the feeling. It pulls on the soul at all times. It continues. It's like the law of gravity. It works on us at all times. There's this continual pull. But there is something that is greater than the law of gravity. There's something greater than the law of sin and death. It's called the law of spirit of life in Christ Jesus. So when you take a balloon and fill, fill it with helium, what happens? The balloon just takes off, right? Because it's, it's no longer subject to the law of gravity. Which is why Paul can say, I walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the desires or the lusts of the flesh. Did you know that eternal life begins at salvation? Where every believer passes from death to life. Eternal death loses its grip on you at your salvation, but you don't want to stay just at salvation. 
Jesus said, unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom. The moment you get saved, you start seeing the kingdom. But don't just see the kingdom. Learn to live in the kingdom. Amen. Learn to live there, man. Just because I can see it doesn't mean I'm living in the kingdom. And a lot of Christians are living on the temporal side of the snake line. They can see the line. They, can, they know what's above the line, but they don't want to live there. They prefer to live in their carnality. And so a carnal Christian can see the line. Maybe he's even been over the line once in a while, but he's controlled by his carnal desires. And where is the carnal Christian living? Below the line. Below the line, because of that, he's always harassed by demons. I tell you this, you know, those of us in full-time ministry, there are some people that keep coming to you again and again and again. Very high-maintenance people. Every week they're here at the front. Every week they have a problem. It's not one problem, it's another problem. It's not another problem, it's still another problem. They're constantly harassed by demons. And I'll tell you why. Because they refuse to live above the snake line. You pray for them, you cast out the demons, you pray for protection, next week it's some other demon. And it's continual, almost like one cycle to another cycle of problems because they refuse, they continually live in their carnality and they expose themselves to so many problems and so many demonic powers. And they never come to the place where their flesh is crucified with Christ. They're always in the wilderness, always in, going around in circle and circle. They can see the promised land. They never cross it. They never cross the Jordan River, which is the crucified life, into the place that God has promised for you. So you've got to start making the right choices, my friends. If you live in the flesh, Paul says you will die. But if you, by the Spirit of God, live in the Spirit, you will live, hallelujah. And you will have life more abundantly. So come up higher, my friends. The good news is the gospel, the first part of the gospel is you can be saved. The second part of the gospel is you can be changed. Amen. And Jesus is here today to work in your life to change you. You know what the biggest danger, I think, living in Singapore is? Um, we're way too comfortable. Way too comfortable. I personally don't know, I personally know so many Christians when they talk to me, they don't play by the playbook. They don't, you know, they don't live their lives based on the Bible. They have a very different definition of Christianity. Very different. They have an idea of Christianity that is fluffy, sloppy, and flighty brand of Christianity. It's not the Bible. And I'm thinking to myself, do you even read the same Bible? If you camp on an altitude of convenience and comfort, you will atrophy, you will backslide, because you can't live Christian the Christian life in a neutral gear. There was a recent research that was done by the Pew Research just this month. They just released it this month. The wake up call for Christians here in Singapore. Five, five in 10 Christians think that it's absolutely okay to call upon the name of another God. Five in 10 Christians. I know that a lot of nominal Christians were interviewed in this, but can you imagine? That's a high number. Five in 10 Christians believe that you can call upon the name of another God. Four in 10 Christians don't pray daily. Four in 10 Christians don't think we should even evangelize. Majority of Christians don't believe in angels or demons. I mean, come on, what Bibles are you reading, man? I say all that to say that the church in Singapore is not as strong as we think it is. A lot of nominal Christians, a lot of carnal and backslided Christians in the church. 
And a lot of growth does not come by evangelism. Trust me, in Singapore, the last 10 years, we only grew marginally by 0. something percent, which means that all these big churches are having church, churches, people from other churches join them, right? It's like, you know, a chess game and it's all the people are moving from one church to another church and then the next new church comes, everybody goes there and the next new church comes, everybody goes there. And you know, Cornerstone, you're not like that, Amen. I, I expect better things from you guys. Come on, hallelujah. All right, I'm going to take this to a bit of a landing. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4 and verses 17 to 8. My last scripture. For this light affliction, for, for, which is for a moment, is working for us an exceedingly great and we eternal weight of glory. For while we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, and the things which are not seen are eternal. This momentary light affliction is an occupational hazard. It comes with the territory. It's part of our job description. Verse 18, Paul says, anything that can be seen is temporal. Everything that cannot be seen is eternal. How many of you can see the invisible line there, right? The seen, the unseen, and there's an invisible line. Now, ladies and gentlemen, here's where I want to bring you guys. All the beautiful buildings that we have in this city, when you travel all the beautiful buildings that you see in all the other nations, all that is temporal. They are not going to last forever. Listen, all these buildings are not going to be here uh, for long, okay? All temporal. Everything that you've acquired, your wealth, all the houses that you have, I don't care how many, how much you, zeros you got in your bank account, all that is, it's going to go. But what you are building that is unseen, that's eternal. The relationships, the life of prayer, the, the time that you spend in the presence of God, the things that cannot be seen. And I promise you this, I promise you, I'm telling you this, you can take this to the bank. If you keep pressing on, if you keep staying in the presence of God, the day is going to come when the unseen is going to be more real to you than the seen. Hallelujah. Yeah? God's going to wean you from the things of this world and all of a sudden you're going to find yourself desiring for the eternal and the unseen. You have no more desire. And you, even for some of you that, Singaporeans, we love our food, right? I mean, I, you know, there was a time that, man, I enjoyed. People brought me to the nicest restaurants, but I'm telling you, I'm losing this love for this thing because if you want to invite me for dinner, I'll still come. But I'm just saying, I'm just saying that I see food as a utility. I see food as a utility. I mean, having a bowl of Maggie noodles is fine with me. I have no problems with this. Uh, you know, I said, whatever. My wife says, what are you going to eat today? I said, whatever. It's, I don't care. It's just a utility. It's just to get me to the next day. Amen. I don't, I don't know what I ate in the last uh, two weeks, all right, for lunch and dinner, but I don't know. Whatever I ate, it sustained me. Amen. And it's like reading the Bible. Sometimes you read and you get this, but there are days that you read and you just, it feeds you. Right? And you don't know, five years down the road, you realize all these things that you've been doing has been feeding your spiritual man. Okay. So, above the line, eternal, unseen. Below the line, can be seen, but uh, it's uh, temporal, right? And God has given to us, as I close, everything. He's given to us the Holy Spirit. He's given to us the Word of God, the Bible. He's given to us His grace. He's given to us the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He's given to us the body of Christ. He's given to us prayer, the agency of prayer. He's given to us the communion, all of that to help us to live above the line. Come on. All of that to live above the line. 
All right, I'll close with this. There are nine fruit of the Spirit, but one of the most costliest fruit in the Bible is peace. And peace is exemplified by the fruit that is called spike nut, or spice rather than the fruit, right? Spike nut? I, I think it's the spice, right? Spike nut. In the Bible days, spike nut was only obtained in one place in the world, and that was the Himalayan mountains. And you can only get it at 10,000 feet above sea level. Spike nut don't grow under 10,000 feet. And so it was very difficult in Bible days to obtain spike nut. Can you imagine they didn't have air travel in those days and they have to take it, the spike nut, and put them in alabaster jars to, to contain the spike nut and then bring them down all the way to the Middle East. Do you know how costly spike nut is? And that was one of the, the, the alabaster flask of spike nut that Mary broke and poured it on Jesus because she loved him so much. And Jesus said, whenever this gospel is preached, what she has done for me shall be preached to all the, the nations. Come on, hallelujah. The price that she paid for the one she loved. And I want to just say this, ladies and gentlemen, the higher you go, the greater is the peace. Hallelujah. I'm telling you. It's the, the, this is a transcendental peace. This is a peace that passes all understanding. So Paul says in Romans 8, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Hallelujah. Everyone I know today is seeking for peace, but true peace can only come as you learn to soar up with the Lord. For it comes from the Prince of Peace Himself. Hallelujah. So make a choice that you're going to live for God and not for yourself. From today onward, make that decision. Ask the Lord to bring you above the snake line. And the moment you do, uh, the things of this world will grow strangely dim. Let's all stand in the presence of God. I tell you this, my friends, all of us, everything in me wants the temporal. All the while, God is saying to you, I don't want you to live in that realm. I want you to live in my realm. I want you to live in the supernatural. I want you to live in the unseen realm. And I want you to live above the snake line. I want you to live in the unseen realm. I want you to live in Romans chapter 8, not Romans chapter 7. I don't want you to live in carnality any longer. I don't want to be a plastic Christian. Heaven and earth will pass away. But the Lord says, those who walk with me, those who love my word, and and those who live above the line, hallelujah, and the Spirit, they will abide forever. Amen. You've just listened to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.